And the title of my message this morning is, Now It Begins. I heard a story of a man who finally had the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land. It was his lifelong dream that him and his wife would one day be able to walk in the land of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was a dream that they had from the very beginning, the moment they married. And finally, now in his retirement, he had the opportunity to do so. But as they were planning the trip to the land of Israel, his wife began to become reluctant. She didn't want to go alone with him. She wanted her mother to come with. And he wasn't really the favorite of her mother. She thought her daughter could marry much better. And so he became greatly reluctant and even disappointed that his mother-in-law would have to come with because nothing was ever good enough for her. And everywhere they seemed to go together with the mother-in-law, difficulty always seemed to arise. So as they made their way to Israel, he finally gave in because he wanted to go there. He was desiring to go there so desperately. While they were there, she once again decided to make things difficult by dying while they were in Israel. And dealing with the funeral director there in Israel, the funeral director told the gentleman, listen, we can have your mother-in-law buried here for $150, or we can have her sent back to the United States of America for $5,000. And without even hesitation, the man said, oh, send her back to the United States of America for $5,000. And the funeral director couldn't believe what he was hearing. He said, no, no, I don't think you get it. I can bury her here for 150 or you can pay 5000 to have her sent back to the United States. Nope, send her back. I'll pay the 5000 gladly. And the undertaker wondered, well, why, why? Why would you spend so much money? And he said, listen, the last guy who was buried here came back in three days. I don't want to take that chance. <laughs> Now, this is where I have to make sure my mother-in-law is not in the congregation, or I'll be disinvited. Today we gather with billions of Christians all over the world to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ can still, to this day, confound the most intellectual scholar who is resistant to the idea of Christianity. Individuals who are resound scholars who desire to prove that the Bible is inaccurate, that Christ never existed, that Christianity is nothing more than just another man-made, man-centered uh, religion created by man for the purposes of man. The devotion of the believer in Jesus Christ, allowing him or her to experience everything from the greatest joy to the deepest sorrow of suffering is all linked to the reality that on the third day, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rose again. And nothing can take that away from us. To this day, the world is still confounded, and they are unable to disprove that fact in any way, shape, or form. Oh, they've offered theories, which we'll discuss in just a moment, but in actuality, all of them fall so far short, it takes more faith to believe those theories than it does to embrace the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that today, more than ever, history is not a favorite subject amongst many. 
I know that when I was in high school, history was not a favorite subject of mine. Was it yours? But as I got older, I began to appreciate history even more, and I even found myself watching the History Channel. Is it because now I have more history than future? I don't know. But the point is, is that I seem to appreciate history now more than ever. And many, if you watch like The Man on the Street and other uh, interview segments such as that, know that few people know the history of the United States of America, which is confined within 200 years, let alone to know the history of 2,000 years ago. And yet, here we are today still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years have passed. And we remember the death and resurrection of a 33-year-old man who never traveled a hundred miles farther than when he was born. During that time, they had no major media outlet to not only capture the moments, but also to keep those in the historical records. And yet we still come on this day to remember this man who claimed to be much more than a man. A man born in a barn in Bethlehem. An individual who was born of a virgin. One, even though he was born in such poverty, if you look at the lineage of both Mary and Joseph, he heralded from kings. King David specifically. At 13, he was found teaching in the temple there in Jerusalem, confounding the most wise individuals of that time. He was then preceded by a strange individual who occupied to the wilderness and to one who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah named John the Baptist. After being baptized, he healed the sick, he healed the lame, he opened the eyes of the blind, he raised the dead openly claiming to be God and significantly rejected by the religious leaders at that time. He was betrayed by one of his followers. Seven mock trials were held and each of those mock trials discovered him to be innocent, rejected by his nation, crucified, and at the moment of crucifixion at noon, all darkness covered the area there in Jerusalem And he dismissed his spirit, allowing for his death. At the death of Jesus Christ, you would think that it is over. The religious leaders at that time were terrified that something was going to happen that Jesus spoke about in advance. They were terrified that if this man truly rose again on the third day, then they would have to contend with something so much greater than they ever anticipated. Let me read these words for you that are found in Matthew's Gospel. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was alive that after three days I will rise and therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go and steal away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it secure yourself. And they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. They were terrified of the reality, of the possibility of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And of course, we know that on the third day, we have the account of the women who proceeded there expecting him to be dead, forgetting what he had said, and then once again realizing the truth of it all, discovering an empty tomb, because he rose on the third day. You and I who are Christians, we must realize that if Jesus Christ did not raise on the third day, we might as well just go home. We might as well pack it in. We might as well forget it. And we might, we might as well be pitied by all the world for following such a, a fallacy that in actuality is so far from the truth. The great Paul the Apostle stated this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. He went on a little later to say, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you still are in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people the most to be pitied. Today more than ever when I am challenged by individuals who resist the idea of Christianity and they seek to know where my confidence comes from, it is from the fact that on the third day the grave was empty. It is that reality that assures me in an insecure world that after 2,000 years removed from that moment in history, the world is still grappling with ideas and theories to try to explain away the reason for the empty tomb. This is it, guys. This is where the rubber hits the road. If Jesus Christ hasn't risen on the third day, then we are to be pitied as fools who believe in simply a fantasy. But that's not the case, is it? Because he has arose on the third day, he is a living God and not a dead God. And that living God is working inside of all of those who proclaim him and follow him. He is transforming lives. He is taking those who are broken and poor and who are uh, separated from God and drawing them to the Father through Himself. He's restoring life. He's restoring relationships. He's restoring health. He's restoring people back to the way God intended them to be. He is not a dead God. He is a living God that we worship and we serve. Now, it's important to know and to understand what people are saying today about the empty tomb. It's important for you to understand the counter-arguments that they are making that supposedly carry enough weight to justify the resistance of the Christian faith. The first one of these theories will be offensive to about half of you. They believe that the reason the tomb was found empty is because these women did not know where they were going and simply ended up at the wrong tomb. Really? Women, how do you feel about that? This is a leading argument against the empty tomb. The disciples stole the body even though the Roman soldiers guarded it and it was sealed these disciples who were afraid of their shadows at this time who were scattered and cowering somehow some way overpowered the guards and opened the tomb and stole the body away exactly what the religious leaders feared and prepared for. Number 3 he was not really dead. But as they took him off the cross and they put him in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb revived him and he simply came back out. 
after being scourged 39 times, after hanging on the cross for six hours and losing the amount of blood in which he had, oh, and then being stabbed in the side and pierced where blood and water flowed. No, he was certainly dead at the moment that he was placed into that grave. And again, how did he walk past the guards and simply move to a manner of being alive? Number four is one of my favorites. It's still one that is favored by many liberal scholars today, is that a pack of wild dogs came and ate the body. Number five, this is again embraced by many who claim intelligence, that everyone who saw him after the third day were all part of a mass hallucination. Now I can see if that was in the 60s in San Francisco, but not in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Even director James Cameron, the famous director of the movie Titanic and Avatar, made a documentary saying the sarcophagus in which was found in Jerusalem in the late 1980s, early 1990s, was the sarcophagus of Jesus Christ, even though the individual, a Jewish man, not a believer in Jesus Christ, adamantly denied the fact that this was Christ's sarcophagus. This is all that the world has to offer us. And yet we stand here, we listen to what they have to say, and then we come back to them and say, it is still empty. And everything that you have posed to me in your objections is harder for me to believe than to simply believe that on the third day he rose again, separating Christianity from every other religion of the world. In every other religion of the world, it is God's endeavor to have man reach him through man's own endeavors. But Christianity says that God knew that that was impossible and He Himself came down and lifted humanity to Himself. That's Christianity. But then we have the recorded testimony of a Jewish historian at the time who lived during that time who was not a follower of Jesus Christ, a man named Josephus, who wrote and stated this, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call Him a man. For he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accepted the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him, accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. Listen to this. On the third day, he appeared to them, restored to life, for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him and the tribe of Christians, as he calls them, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. This is a Jewish historian saying this happened. This is the evidence that we stand upon. I take you to Luke chapter 24, and I believe that I bring you even further evidence of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I bring you into Luke chapter 24, verse 1, let us read the first three verses together. But on the first day of the week, early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared 
And they found that the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I ask you first and foremost, what were these women preparing to do once they got to the tomb? The Bible says they had spices in the hand. They were going to dress the body. They were going to tend to the body. They did not expect the body not to be there. They fully anticipated Jesus being in that tomb. The other gospel writers say that the women on the way to the tomb conversed amongst themselves and asked themselves, when we get there, who will remove the stone from the entrance of the tomb that we may enter into it and prepare the body? They expected to find a dead Lord when in actuality He was already alive. On Friday, I introduced you to a phrase that I bring up again this morning. Often our personal perspectives are clouded by our personal expectations. See, an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case. And today, many have very specific expectations upon life. They want what they want. And many feel entitled to those things in which they expect. In fact, one writing about expectations in our culture today stated, Have you ever expected something in life but, didn't, but it didn't work out as you had planned? Did you feel frustrated, angry, robbed? Truth is, is that we all come to expect certain outcomes. It's part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. Unfortunately, though, expectations of everyone, including ourselves, are spiraling out of control. We no longer just want things, we expect things. One psychologist wrote that there are only two kinds of expectations that people uh, have today. One is called a reasonable, the other unreasonable. A reasonable expectation is based upon facts. An unreasonable expectation is based upon our wants, desires, hopes, misunderstandings, etc., Therefore, when an expectation is not meant, a long fall is occurred by the one who embraces that expectation. I bring this to your attention because like the women at that moment who expected to see Jesus still confined to the grave, so many of us today are approaching God with wrong expectations. We are not approaching God or understanding God based upon the facts of the Bible. We are approaching God uh, based upon our expectations of wants, desires, hopes, and misunderstandings. And this is the why that so many people today, when I begin the conversation about God, when I start to talk to them about God and a relationship with God, I'm often met with this statement. I've tried that and it didn't work for me. Or I'm so glad that it worked for you. But God has let me down. God has failed me. God has uh, uh, abandoned me in my position in life. Right away I realize that they had placed their faith in an expectation that was unreasonable rather than God himself. Now, I say that these women came to the tomb in an unreasonable expectation. Why? Because Jesus told them numerous times beforehand that on the third day that he was going to rise again. But they seem to have forgotten that fact. They seem to have dismissed that reality. 
And yet they prepared and they continued on in the expectation in which they had only to be confounded by what they found. Many today have determined certain expectations, unrealistic ones for their personal lives. And when those expectations have not been met, they fall into a deep despair and depression. Some have placed these same expectations, these unreasonable ones, upon God. And when those expectations are not met, they grow angry at God. And today we see the number of people who have appeared to have either lowered all expectations or have none at all. And they seem to be in the greatest position of disappointment whatsoever. Horace once said that blessed is, the, is he who expects nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. Is that true? No. I tell you this because our faith in Jesus Christ is solidified by the fact that he rose on the third day. If he rose on the third day, then anything else he said was validated at that moment. If Jesus Christ was still in the grave, we could honestly dismiss everything that he said up until that point. And if that isn't enough for our evidence, we find that a numerous amount of people saw him. 500 people saw him after his resurrection. And then Paul the Apostle, one who was persecuting Christians at one time, was met on the road to Damascus and he changed abruptly. As many of you know, I grew up in a home as the only Christian in my home for many years. I was challenged by my parents on many occasions as they tried to move me off of center. They tried to move me away from God, challenging me with secular theories and ideas and thoughts. But I want to tell you that in 2014, after 30 years of praying for my mother, she came to saving faith in Jesus Christ because she couldn't fight any longer against the reality of the resurrection. My father recently told me that he is now convinced that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is too true. He cannot disprove it after a 30-year period of time of trying to do so. And he is baffled by the fact that a man named Paul, who once resisted Christianity as strongly as he did, then turned on a dime to follow Jesus Christ as passionately as he had. I encourage you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday, we stand in the truth regardless of the choir of opposition that is posed against us. We stand in the truth regardless of the volume of the opposition that is heralded towards us. And though we may be demeaned for our simplicity of faith, let us not lose our resolve in the fact that on the third day Christ rose from the dead. And therefore I can believe these words when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though he die, he shall live again. But look at in our text after this in verse 4. I love this. And while they were perplexed about this, there's their clouding, there's their personal perspective clouded by their expectations. They're bewildered about what's in front of them. They, they can't see it. Uh, they don't understand it. That's two of the biggest downfalls of a clouded perspective is you don't see what's right in front of you. You don't understand what's right in front of you. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel. 
And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. I love the fact that God told us beforehand what is going to happen in the future. By telling us beforehand, He has prepared us for whatever we were to encounter in the future. I love that. He knew that the disciples were going to be personally challenged. They were going to have a faith crisis due to the fact that he was arrested, tortured, and then killed by the Romans. And yet he prepared them for that. He said, this is what's going to happen to me when I get there. But understand, on the third day I am going to rise again. But their preconceived, clouded perspective did not allow them to see that. They didn't, it didn't allow them to understand what was transpiring before them. In Mark's gospel, Jesus stated, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be, get, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And there were gathered in Galilee, as Matthew writes, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed when heard it. He spoke to them about the temple in John's gospel. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us uh, for doing these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. And the Jews then said, It takes 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Then therefore he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Even when it came to the reference of Jonah in Matthew 12, once again we are confronted with the reality of the resurrection. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answering him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here Jesus is giving us the facts to them so that when his death came, they would not be moved. They would not be thrown into despair but would know that all things were happening according to plan. Some today may have at one time been told about Jesus. They may have read the Bible at some time, even gone to church at some time, but forgotten about what he has said and have drifted away from him. Is that you today? Then today becomes your appointment with God. On this Resurrection Sunday, when we remember the most vital element of all of Christianity, God is calling you back to Him. He's saying, please remember that whatever has occurred, this one reality remains the same. That is, on the third day, I rose again. Now it all begins. On that Friday that they crucified Him, the sentiment of many were, is this the end? But at the Resurrection, 
all seemed to know that this was something special that has just occurred, and now it begins. Look with me in verse 8 of our text. And finally, we come to the place where they remembered, where it all became clear to them. They remembered his words. It came together. The light went on as if it were. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be to them to be idle tales. And they did not believe them. Even the disciples, when first confronted with the reality of the resurrection, were not willing to accept it. Their personal perspective clouded by their expectations. And yet Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ recorded in the Bible also give pause to those individuals who would challenge the notion of the resurrection. For those who would challenge the notion of the resurrection, they are stymied by the fact in which it was recorded. First and foremost, if someone was fabricating such an account, they would not begin with women as the chief witnesses to the event. At that time, women could not even uh, witness in a legal trial unless they were the ones that had been offended by the perpetrator. But because it is recorded in the manner it is, no one would have written this unless it be true. And many agree with that notion. I think it is interesting, Jesus in his majesty The same case within his birth when it wasn't heralded before royalty, but it was mere shepherds who came and worshipped him in the manner in which they did at the moment that star heralded his birth into the world. It was in humility in which he was born. In the resurrection, he appears first to the ladies who were devoted to him and following him and came to tend to him out of love. It was to them that he first appeared too. It wasn't Caesar. Now that would be the character that I would personally like to have Jesus appear to first. And yet Caesar was the emperor of all the known world at that time. And when Caesar's name was mentioned, people would bow themselves. They would lay on the ground, prostrate before Caesar's name. They would reverence that name. And today, Caesar is merely contained in a salad. Think about how things have changed. Think about Pilate. Pilate would have been another great candidate for Jesus to first appear to the one who had him crucified, but yet it wasn't him. Can you imagine Jesus saying to Pilate, your hands are still dirty, Pilate. You think you can't keep a good man down? Try to keep the God man down. You're not going to be able to do it. Even the disciples, due to their fear, were not there, but it was these women These pure women, the women who just desired to tend to his body out of their love for him, it was them in which he manifested himself to. 
I tell you that individuals that I speak to who want to criticize the account of the resurrection are baffled by the account because they knew that no account that wanted to carry any weight of validity would have started off in such a way. I say this to you because the world tells us we don't have answers. The world tells us that Christianity is an archaic system of thinking. The world tells us that the moral standard of Judeo-Christianity is no longer necessary for our society. And that we need to shake off the shackles of such an oppressive understanding of life, sin, and righteousness. That we are the ones that are holding back the progression of our society. If the society progresses any farther in the manner in which it does, I hope that we hold it back. Because it's falling off a cliff. Today people are struggling with their personal identity like never before. We've told them that they have no history other than the fact that they were derived from animals. Why are we then shocked when they act like animals in their present state? We tell people that they cannot know their history or their, uh, their identity based upon the past. It is who they are today, but we don't tell them who they are today. We let them determine for themselves who they are today, and they don't understand that they were made in the image of God. They don't understand that it was God who sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to them, that they may be saved and have that value assessed to them. They don't understand that. Our world is crumbling around us because we've abandoned the only hope in which God sent to us, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. And please notice that Peter marveled. He was filled with wonder and amazement. He couldn't actually believe this to be true. Jesus' own followers did not anticipate the resurrection, and yet they were confronted with it. Now I would like you to turn in your Bibles as we close to Matthew 28. And I want you to read these words with me. In Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, as we conclude our time together on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to notice the fear in the religious leaders as they are concerned about the reality of the resurrection. In Matthew 28, 11 through 15, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. Asleep, I should say. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this is the story that has been spread among the Jews to this day. They paid him off. The original conspiracy theory. The religious leaders like individuals today know that if they can disprove the resurrection, then they can bring down all of the Christian value that is contained in the Word of God. Today I appeal to you. I ask you to consider. Wherever you are at with God, with Christ, this day reminds us that something uniquely happened 
to demonstrate that Jesus was more than just a mere man or a good teacher. He wasn't just someone who came in the world to love and to spread social justice. He was someone that took the world by storm in a period of three years. And 2,000 years later today, we are still discussing his existence. As our nation continues in the pathway of pluralism, where we embrace a multitude of different religions and say and call all of them equal, let us ask the question, are they all equal? Or does Christianity step above all of them? And why is it that out of all the religions that are embraced in America today, it is always Christianity that is at the heel of the foot of the skeptical mocker or the one who would like to try to disprove the validity of Christianity altogether? Countless number of men and women, very intelligent men and women, have taken the endeavor to prove the resurrection never occurred, and all of them have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let us remember this day that on the third day Jesus Christ rose again, and now it all begins because we serve a living God who is living and capable of changing lives. He is working in the hearts of those who follow Him through the power of the Spirit of God, He has given us His Word that we may know and understand all the things that are occurring before they occur, that we may be prepared for them. Jesus Christ is the only place that we can sufficiently place our hope and trust and faith and never have it be let down. We cannot be disappointed in God ever if we approach Him with the right expectation, reasonable expectations that are based upon the fact of the Word of God. It is only when we try to shackle him with our unreasonable expectations and try to make him something that he isn't or try to have him fulfill something that he has not promised that we then would grow disappointed. God is real. He is alive and he is living and he is actively involved today in the affairs of men. And though things may appear to be spinning out of control and you just don't know which direction things are going to end, we know where they're going to end. And in the end, for each and every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, it's that moment that we stand before Him in all of eternity in heaven and are embraced by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the promise of the resurrection. Now it all begins. Let us not live in fear any longer, but let us walk in boldness, knowing that on the third day that tomb was empty and He satisfied and validated and confirmed everything that he stated prior to that moment. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but let us be bold about it.